Blog Talk Radio. The following interview was recorded at the Intelligent Community Forum's annual conference in New York City on June 8th. Good afternoon and welcome to Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. We are here every week to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations in their efforts to get broadband everywhere it needs to be. Uh, now, if you have been listening to some of my recent shows, you know that I have talked about uh, the need for us in the U.S. to look to other countries uh, and, and their various broadband efforts to gather information, expertise, and insight to help expand our own vision and, in the end, create better networks for, uh, for everyone. And today, I think I have gone probably as far as I can go and still stay on the planet to uh, look at what's going on down under in Australia. Now, some of you may have uh, may be aware that uh, in Australia they're building a countrywide network. So we're talking coast-to-coast broadband. And I think that even though it's a grander project than many of you may be working on, there are still lessons to be learned from that effort. And let's see what we can what, what we can learn today. So my guest today is Senator Stephen Conroy, who is also the Minister for Broadband Communications and the Digital Economy. So to put it in our governmental terms, it's like being a member of the Senate and a member of the President's Cabinet all rolled into one. And Senator, thank you for being my guest today. Good to be with you. And I should also say congratulations. You were awarded visionary of the year, right, from the ICF uh, forum uh, conference that I'm at. Uh, that we're no, thank you very much. It's a great honor. Yes, and so let's talk about uh, the project. This sounds ambitious. What are we doing now? We have a very ambitious uh, plan. We're building a nationwide, as you said, all over Australia. We're building to 93% of our population a fibre to the home network. For the remaining 7%, we've purchased two new KA band satellites and we're building a fixed wireless network to serve the two that 7% uh, and it, uh, it's costing uh, approximately around $37 billion to put it in a, an American perspective if America was to pursue the same policy it would cost $550 billion American dollars to build the network that we're building in Australia Right, and and as people probably know, Australia does not have the same populations that uh, size that the U.S. does. Though the landmass is, as I remember, fairly comparable, yeah. maybe a little bit it's bigger. A very, very similar landmass. We have 22 million people, mm-hmm. uh, a few less than you. Uh, so uh, to try and reach all of those with some very small population centres uh, is a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're faced with uh, an incumbent copper monopoly. Uh, that used to be a public company and was privatised. Uh, it's the most vertically integrated telecommunications company and we have the most concentrated uh, telecommunications market in the world. So we had this 800-pound gorilla that created 90% of the profit in the industry for itself. So in the whole telecommunications sector, one company made 90% of the profits. Mm-hmm. So this meant that Australians had too higher prices and too slow broadband. Mm-hmm. So even though here in the U.S. we have more companies, I think that when you consolidate the main players, 
you have a very similar dynamic. I mean, you have maybe eight companies, I'm probably being generous, that, that control 90, 95% either wireless or wired uh, communications. And when you talk to people at the city and county level, you know, their two biggest complaints are, you know, they pay too much and they get too little. So I think we, we, we are similar in that respect. I think obviously the the political structure is very different, which gives you guys more latitude, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, you had the same starting point as, as, as we did, and you're probably familiar with our national broadband plan, uh, which isn't to build a contiguous network per se, but try to get broadband out across uh, across the U.S., let me start by asking, how is it that you guys decided to be so ambitious? Because basically you are creating a single physical entity, if I'm not mistaken. We've, uh, we've established a company, a government business enterprise, mm -hmm. and its job is to build the network. Mm -hmm. And it has contracted all of the uh, workers who are starting to physically connect to people's homes. It has run the tenders and uh, its responsibility is to get, and this is a very controversial aspect for the project, it is only under government instruction to get a 7% return. Now as you know, most telcos don't get out of bed for less than 25% right, return. Right. So the mandate to the company is make a return for the government, so it's not an on-budget spending item, so it's an investment. Mm -hmm. Your job is to get a 7% return, and if you start making more profit than 7%, you have to start lowering prices. So the mandate is to drive penetration. We want everybody to come on board and be able to afford to use the national broadband network. Mm -hmm. Now, to achieve that, we've had to face up to our incumbent, who, as I said, is a very powerful and large company, uh, the gorilla in the market, and we ran a tender to build what at first was a less ambitious project, a fibre to the node, fibre to the cabinet. Mm -hmm. And in one sense it was fortunate, in another sense unfortunate, but the tender process finished three weeks after Lehman Brothers collapsed. So the world was in the middle of a global financial crisis. No companies could tender and have any money behind them. Mm -hmm. And so the panel of experts, and we had some of the best satellite and wireless experts, some of the best fiber optic experts, some of the uh, merchant banking experts, uh, economists, regulatory experts were our, our panel for this tender. And they came back to us and they said, none of the tenders are value for money for taxpayers. And they then said something else to us. They said, look, we know you believe, the government believes in building a next generation network. But what we'd say to you is, don't build a fiber for node network. The future-proof network to build is fibre to the home because that will allow you to continually upgrade the network. Once you've got the fibre in the ground, then it's as simple as changing the boxes on the end, if I can use a non-technical term, mm -hmm. to keep the upgrades going. So it's a gigabit network. We're building a gigabit to the home. Mm -hmm. uh, the satellite's capacity uh, will be to deliver 12 megabits down and 1 megabit up. Uh, and the wireless network is a fixed LTE network which will deliver 12 down and one up. With the LTE network we know that there will be upgrade paths already uh, LTE can do faster speeds than that so we'll be looking to improve that network over the next few years and we'll have the cutting edge technology when those satellites go into the air 
2015. So we expect that those initial basic offerings of 12 down and one up will be improved on by the time these networks go live. Mm -hmm. Now in the US, no one here really at the, at the political level is willing to fight that kind of a fight nationally to structure something in this realm. At the local level, though, when you look at our cities and you look at some of our counties and even maybe one or two states, there is that willingness to have the government take such a lead role. But from your perspective, why? Why brace yourself for this both political fight and economic fight to, to go this route and build this network? Look, we, we were faced with an incumbent that was determined to protect its profit margin, as it should, as any company has legal responsibilities to do the best by its shareholders. Mm -hmm. we, we expect them to behave that way. But what that was doing was holding the whole country back. So we had to take the long-term view. We had to say, we've got to do what's best for Australia. And so we set out to build a network to every Australian. Telstra, our incumbent, had said to us, look, we wouldn't upgrade our copper network to more than 60% of the population. There's no business case after that. Mm -hmm. They can make do with the copper in the ground or maybe a wireless network, but we will only build to 60% of the population. We didn't believe that was fair. We didn't believe that that was the right public policy position to support. So we said, okay, we're gonna put the money on the table. Our network is funded almost entirely by the government in 100% in the first eight years of the build. So the majority of the money going towards the $37 billion comes from the government. As I said, an investment, it's not an expense, it's an investment with a return. And so we took the decision that we would give our incumbent a choice. It could participate and be involved in the National Broadband Network, or we would ban it from bidding for future spectrum. And we have our digital dividend spectrum coming up for auction at the end of this year, early next year. And so we said to Telstra, those are your choices. You can stay the same company you are today, but you won't be getting any new spectrum, or you can participate. And when I say participate, it means that we paid them for access to their infrastructure. And this was a long and tough negotiation, as you can imagine, mm -hmm. one of the biggest companies in the country. This took this took best part of 18 months. And so Telstra now are renting us access to their ducks and their pits and their telephone poles. And they're remediating them as part of the deal. The other thing that we're doing is that we are paying them on a per customer basis to transfer their customers who are on the copper network onto our fiber network. Mm -hmm. And then we turn the copper network off. We're actually decommissioning the copper network as part of this policy. So in essence, you are um, driving a build-out that you own that will eventually then just become Tulsa's network again. No, it's so. owned by the NBN Co. And there are laws okay. that one day, if it's the company's ever sold, retail service providers, as we now call ISPs, mm -hmm. RSPs we call them, uh, they are not allowed to buy more than maybe 5 or 10%. So we don't, will not allow, by legislation, retailers to own and control the wholesale network in the future. That's the most fundamental economic reform involved. We've split apart the wholesale and the retail networks. Which is something that gets advocated quite a bit here in, in the US because the feeling is that 
if, if all of these are combined and the content is owned by the same companies, eventually the consumers are uh, in, well, let in, me, in trouble. Let me, let, me give, let me paint you how the telecommunication market in Australia is today. I mentioned Telstra have the copper monopoly, just a traditional old uh, consumer access network, CAN, mm -hmm. as we call it. They own that. They're 100% owners of that. They own 50% of the only cable company in Australia. We only have one okay. in the whole country. Wow. They own 50% of it. They own the actual HFC cable. And so all of the content which is on the pay TV network, our cable TV network, they have access to. So we've got the most concentrated market just about anywhere in the world, according to our competition commission, which is why it was important for us to break it apart. Mm -hmm. we, had to, we had to step in, and it's a very big call, to say the structure of the market is fundamentally, it's a market failure, mm -hmm. and the government needs to intervene. Okay, and I, th I would say that here in the U.S., our the monopoly structure, it's more of a duopoly, depending on who you talk to, and there are different players who kind of hold that duopoly position, depending on which state that you're in. But it seems like the lesson from what you have done is um, made the decision of giving the incumbents the opportunity to participate but to be willing to take your own action in order to serve the greater public good. Absolutely. Which I think, again, at the, at the county level and at some city levels, that has been the nature of some of our projects where people, you know, in fact, in, in the U.S., for most of the networks that, were, that are currently run by either the public utility or the municipal government outright, they all started by going to the incumbents first. We need X and Y and Z. And then they get laughed out of the room, and then they come back and say, okay, we're going to build our own, and you have an opportunity to participate or not. And in which case, the, a lot of the incumbents turn around and they try to fight it at every step of the way. But I think that the, the, the thread to take from this is, um, you know, you, you start with a credible plan that allows them to participate. I remember one county saying, okay, it took them seven years for one of our large incumbents to come around to the fact that it would be easier to play with the community than to fight the community. But they finally came around and realized that by the community taking the infrastructure investment, that that saved them a lot and allowed them to get basically into the business sooner, faster. Look, I think Telstra's management now, uh, our incumbent, are very comfortable with where they've ended up. Mm -hmm. They have a secure flow of cash uh, as a rental agreement. They have cash for each customer that they transfer. Now, remember when they transfer from the copper to the network to the uh, fiber network, they lose their wholesale profit forever. Mm -hmm. So the payment is about compensating them for losing their future flow of wholesale profits. So they have come to the view now that they've got the best possible position for their shareholders, which is their obligation, uh, but they also would accept that what they're doing is in the national interest. I'm very familiar with what you've just described about going to your incumbent. Uh, in fact, the first time we approached the incumbent, they had a different set of management, they had a different board, different CEO, uh, and they did laugh us out of the room. Mm -hmm. And when it came to that tender that I talked about, other companies, even though they lacked financials, financial uh, sources because of the global financial crisis, they put forward 
tender documents of 2,000 pages. Our incumbent put forward a 12-page document. Wow. Consider that being laughed out of the room. <laughs> uh, I can imagine. And so we got to a situation with the incumbent where they we kicked them out of the tender. And so we ended up with an absolute standoff. They were not prepared to compromise in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company went through a crisis because its share price then plummeted uh, and the CEO was replaced and the board of management were replaced by its own shareholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a view among its shareholders that even though their job was to maximise their returns on behalf of shareholders, they were actually by their actions now starting to cause a threat to the future of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was this was front page news in Australia. This was on the nightly news. It was front page news. This was a big confrontation between one of Australia's biggest companies and the government. Uh, but we were determined to do what we believed was right by the country. Mm-hmm. This was the best long-term plan. We were falling behind, as I said. Speed's too slow. Price is too high. In a country as far away from the rest of the world as Australia, connectivity is vital. Right. Even within the country, we have a digital divide at the moment, which was getting worse. Uh, so I think digital divide, Australia so far away, uh, when your underlying business costs are higher than they should be because of the telecommunications mm-hmm. system, and particularly as data is becoming so vital, the supply chains of businesses are being digitised, it's cannibalising so many industries, the internet at the moment. If we did not get ahead, if we did not get go for the ambitious, we need to get the infrastructure that is the 21st century infrastructure in place, the country would be, continue to slide down the rankings our GDP would be threatened, our future of our kids would be threatened, and we just weren't prepared to accept this as a government. So then to capsulize once again, it seems like what we have is, number one uh, lesson is to you know try as a government entity or as a community to find the compromise position, right? That you guys clearly went into it with a, uh, you know, here are ways for the incumbent to be a participant and a revenue-generating participant. It's not an unfair relationship. The second lesson seems to be uh, having the political will to stand up against what was known, I'm sure anticipated to be the opposition, to be able to say that for the public good, this is the better way to go. In in essence, you're going to create a certain level of backbone to, to go fight that particular battle. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think that's an absolutely accurate summary of where we got to. I, I, I would call it, in, in the short of it, a carrot and a stick. Mm-hmm. We offered the incumbent a carrot, but we had a real stick. Now, Australia, I'm not suggesting this can work everywhere. Australia had a unique set of circumstances, the most concentrated market, with an incumbent making 90% of the profit. And the rest of the country was starting to tire of slow speeds and high, high prices. Mm-hmm. So they were an unpopular company. And they made themselves more unpopular by their aggressive approach to not just my government, but the previous government from another, from the uh, the other political party. Mm-hmm. So they had waged war against both governments of different political persuasions, and the country grew sick of them. And so when we took these dramatic steps, instead of thinking, oh my God, they've threatened to not let them bid in Spectrum, that's outrageous. Oh my God, they're going to build a network around theirs. The country applauded. So it was 
as I said, it was front page news, it was a big story, uh, but the government had the political will. We also had the, the legal power, mm -hmm. uh, and this is something that uh, I'm forever grateful to our founding fathers. 112 years ago, when they wrote the Australian Constitution, communications was made a federal responsibility. So the federal parliament has the unfettered legal power to set rules in a way that here in the US you just don't have the same structure. Right. But this is not something my stick was created by luck because the founding fathers of our nation wrote a constitution that gave the federal government powers that in Europe I talk to the regulators and the politicians, they dream that they could be able to take this bold and decisive action and I talk to uh, politicians in here in the United States and they wish they had these sorts of powers as well. But if you don't have them, you have to be smart and fashion the plan. I drew a lot of inspiration from Alberta, mm -hmm. where Alberta went through the confrontation and they, uh, the incumbent didn't want to participate, didn't want to play. Alberta decided it was going to build its network and as soon as they started digging, the incumbent came to the table. So the threat there was, hey, we're actually building the network. You can get on board or you can uh, fight us all the way. So it does take uh, a strong political will. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are examples, not just in Australia, but in other places right. where people have fought uh, because they thought this is the right thing to do by our citizens uh, and we've just got to do this because we can't afford to stunt our children's education, not to provide the best health care possible. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of the practical aspects of the logistics. You are creating a company to take responsibility. Uh, are there other entities that you're partnering with? Do you, are you facilitating partnerships? I mean, I'm assuming, though I shouldn't probably assume, that you're not going to go this alone, that there are going to be other players at the table. What are some of the t typical partnerships that you guys yeah. put together for this? Look, the uh, the company itself has sole responsibility for the build. It's, uh, we passed legislation creating the company. Mm -hmm. We passed legislation giving it the powers. Uh, we passed the budget to give it the capacity. So it's a, a independent, statutory independent entity from us. Mm -hmm. uh, we got very lucky that we uh, hired somebody who may be familiar to many of your listeners, Mike Quigley, who was uh, COO and I think president at Alcatel mm -hmm. by the end of his career, uh, an extraordinary individual who came back to Australia after 35 years working in the telco industry around the world, uh, and he believes in the project. Mm -hmm. uh, he believes that this is the right thing to do for Australia, and he's pulled together a team around him from the private sector uh, of absolute experts in their field. So they have uh, tended for the satellites, uh, and Laurel here in the US, and I was just in their factory uh, earlier in the week. Uh, they won that tender. Ericsson's won the tender for the fixed wireless network. Uh, Corning's have won supply of the majority of the fiber. Uh, and so we've gone through proper process, proper procedures, and as you can see, US companies have been winning contracts. Uh, so they are, they are solely responsible for the build. Mm -hmm. So it seems that we have, well, that you have a case in which 
the counter argument to you know government can't do anything right, which is what we get a lot of all the time, was to then put together a company with stellar expertise from the industry to to run that business. And then do they have a certain amount of latitude so that they can make decisions, you know, without having to go into a whole bureaucratic? Yeah. Look, we uh, we give them uh, here's here's the uh, here's your charter letter. Mm-hmm. Here's what we want you to do, and they make the decision. So, you know, I, I, I've got an economics background. I don't have an engineering background. So they come to me and they say, here's the winner of the tender. And I go, sounds good to me. Uh, I have a lot of discussions with them. Uh, because of that, I have to get an understanding of things that I never imagined uh, when I was at university or when I first entered politics mm-hmm. or even as recently as 2004 before I took over some responsibilities for the communications uh, portfolio that I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I I spend my time talking about the difference between Wi-Fi and uh, mobile, uh, why fibre is a future-proof technology, uh, while we welcome the growth and we're providing spectrum for all the new mobile applications that are coming, so we've got a, an auction for that, so we're not fixated that we're picking one technology over the other, we're providing spectrum for wireless and the fantastic initiatives that uh, a whole range of companies are doing there in Australia as well as around the rest of the world. But I've had to come to understand those issues, so I, I spend a lot of my time on the technical issues, but I'm a shareholder. I'm mm-hmm. not on the board. Right. Uh, I meet regularly with the, the board, I meet regularly with the chief executive and his, his leadership team. Uh, because it is a very partisan issue in mm-hmm. Australia. I wouldn't want you to think this was uh, a bipartisan uh, position. It's hotly fought by our opponents. They believe, uh, they take their, I think you mentioned that the government can't do anything right. It's mm-hmm. a white elephant, it won't work. Uh, and we face a lot of that criticism and a lot of that opposition uh, in Australia. But we believe that this is the best way. We've created a wholesale only open access company and we are building a cross subsidy into the price. So it doesn't matter whether you live in the most far-flung part of Australia or in the centre of Sydney, you pay the same price. $24 is your basic entry price. It doesn't matter whether you're using the satellite, the wireless or the fibre, you pay the same price for the same product. So our base product is 12 megabits down, one up. That's our base. Uh, product and it's $24 no matter where you are in Australia mm-hmm. and the retail prices are reflecting that we're getting universal retail prices across the country and that in itself is uh, an anathema to many people in Australia economists of which I uh, that's my background and my training they will tell you this is wrong you should never have a cross subsidy it's a hidden uh, price uh, a hidden sort of tax you should have it on budget. You should have it subsidised by the government. And I utterly reject that. We believe that it doesn't matter where you live in Australia. Everyone should have this opportunity equally. Mm-hmm. So now is the, the arrangement then is that I pay for the base access and then I pay a provider for whatever services that I yeah. get. So $24 is the wholesale price that, we, uh, that NBN sells to the providers and the providers the cheapest uh, price uh, and the American dollar and the Australian dollar are about 
on par at the moment, so mm -hmm. it's a dollar for a dollar. Right. Uh, the cheapest price in the marketplace today is $29.95 for 12 megabits down and one megabit up. Now, another unique feature to Australia is we already have caps. We have download caps. Mm -hmm. We've always had them. They're a standard part of uh, feature. We're only one, in, one of four countries in the world at the moment. Other, company, uh, other countries are starting to look at it, and here in America it's a, an active discussion. Uh, but uh, we already, it's just, that's a standard procedure. Mm -hmm. So you get a small download cap with that price. Uh, if you wanted to uh, get 100 megabits down and 40 up, the, uh, the rough average price is about $100 a month. Mm -hmm. So, and then you can buy different sized caps on top of those. So we have now got 35 companies providing retail services on the national broadband network. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got wholesale aggregators. So we have some very small companies who don't have access to all of the uh, uh, points of interconnect. And uh, apologies if I'm sounding a little too uh, technical, technically, but it's important for people mm -hmm, to understand. Mm -hmm. We have wholesale aggregators who provide connectivity between the points of interconnect, of which we have 121. Right. Uh, and that was mandated by our competition commission. So the structure of the network was dealt with by our competition regulator. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing more retail competition than you've ever seen before in Australia. And the prices are coming down. At the moment, they're, they're, they're about the same as your DSL prices, mm -hmm. but you've already seen companies, like I mentioned, at $29.95. That's, that's just an extraordinarily cheap price. Right. So it is using the open access network to foster competition, but it's very, a somewhat of a different structure than maybe some, some are, are, are used to. Uh, let me ask you a question about, again, logistics. Um, when the U.S. started talking about a national plan to do a network back in '09 or whatever, one of my reactions was, if you have one company build a network across the U.S., given our population and our landmass, by the time you physically complete it, the network would be obsolete because it would take so long. Are you doing some some sort of magic to help build this thing out fairly quickly? Because you, I think you, when you when you have one company building an entire country, that leads to um, you know there's there's time there's a time factor. Yeah. Look, firstly, I mean our copper network, which reaches 98% of Australia, so it doesn't even reach 100% of Australia because. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the most uh, far-flung places, thousands of miles from each other. So, right. Uh, it's not possible to get copper. So we got 98%. That took 50 years. Now, 50 years is not something that uh, would be acceptable today, but it's a 10-year build. Uh, and we've, ne we've not hidden that from uh, the Australian public. We've said from day one, 12 million homes mm -hmm. were switching out from copper to fibre. Mm -hmm. This is a massive project. It will take 10 years. We announced in March of this year a three-year construction build and there were celebrations in the areas that were receiving it. Uh, and it's fair to say there were some very, very disappointed communities that weren't in the first three years. Mm -hmm. And that's something we have to manage. Uh, but the, the, the cities, the suburbs, the regions, they were part of the three-year build. Uh, so that's about a third by the time you finished mm -hmm. it all. Uh, they were, uh, or just under a third, they were, uh, they were very happy communities and we've had uh, enormous support from those that are building it and others recognise that it is a 10-year build and that they, we will get to them. So we release every 12 months an update of where we'll go next. Mm -hmm. So we're keeping people informed about where they're coming to. But it is a 10-year build. At our peak uh, build speed,
speed, we'll be connecting 6,000 homes a day across Australia. We'll be employing 18,000 people to connect to the 16, the 6,000 a day. So mm -hmm. this is a huge construction and engineering project. So there are jobs involved. There are there are significant jobs, but let's go to the question of technology being obsolete. This right. is something that people raise with me. They say, Steve, wireless is going to replace fibre. Why would you bother building such a network? Oh, you have those down there too. Yeah, no, we've got a few. <laughs> of them. Uh, I promise you, I, I've got an opposition leader. Uh, the person who's my main opponent walks around the country saying, "See the iPad? We don't need it. I can sit at the cafe. I can sit at the." Uh, the airport lounge, I can sit in my home and I'm using my iPad, we don't need the network. He, he's not understanding that he's using Wi-Fi networks which are an extension of a fixed line. Right. Uh, and it gets really humiliating for people sometimes when they make such publicly stupid comments but it doesn't discourage them unfortunately. There you go. Uh, so uh, I'm sure that's, uh, that's uh, not different in many countries but the uh, the debate around technology. Fibre, a uh, piece of fibre is an inert piece of glass. Let's be clear, fibre is not a technology, it's a piece of glass. The technology is the boxes on the end of the glass. Uh -huh, and right. they fire it up. And as once you've got the fibre in the ground, it's long term, it's 50 years, mm -hmm. and the boxes can be taken off and replaced. So as the next iterations, the next technological developments come, uh, and no one has found the physical limit the physical capacity yet of a piece of fibre. One strand of fibre, never mind uh, all the strands that we've got strung out around the place, but no one has found a limit yet to what you can transmit down a piece of fibre. Mm -hmm. Spectrum, 4G, 5G, 7G, 8G, it's all fantastic, it's coming, but there are the laws of physics do not get suspended just because you want them to be. The more people <laughs> using a cell tower, the slower the speeds. The further you walk away from the cell tower, the slower the speeds. You can keep compression technology coming and pumping it out further and pumping it out longer, but those fundamental principles don't change. So people want mobility, no question. I mean, Australia's seen the same boom in mobile phones, uh, iPads, Samsung notebooks. We've got all of that happening as well. But the physical laws of physics don't change. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to telcos, they will tell you they are desperately trying to offload their uh, data traffic onto a fixed line as quick as they can once it's transmitted. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you, if you talk to Bob Pepper, who's an evangelist for Cisco, mm -hmm. uh, an absolute expert in this area, he makes a joke to me, the future of wireless is wired because you've just got to offload your data as quick as you can, whether it's a femtocell, a picocell, mm -hmm. whether it's a Wi-Fi connection. The, the telcos are desperate to offload the data as fast as they can. Mm -hmm. So then if I look at the long term, it is the nature of fiber technology that the obsolescence issue is more fought at the ends where it's financially feasible rather than this issue of I'm putting it in the ground, I'm going to have to tear it back up to, to you know, yeah. No, no, that, that is the most common. I mean, uh, for people who argue that, they must be they must spend a lot of time scuba diving because those international fibre cables that the companies around the world that connect continents, mm -hmm. they're down there for 40 or 50 years. Uh, so fibre lasts as long as 40 and 50 years in today's standards. Mm -hmm. So to argue a piece of fibre that you connect from your from an exchange or your core of your network to a home is going to be obsolete in 10 years is very big news to a lot of people who spend a lot of money investing in fibre backbone structures around the world. Right. Uh, so this is a furphy. Uh, the telcos are desperate. 
to offload from their wireless networks onto a Wi-Fi, a Femto cell, a Pico cell. They're desperate to try and get it off their network because mm-hmm. it keeps, it's clogging it up so fast. Okay. So let's wrap up with um, the question of your uh, of the population. Um, what was interesting listening to your uh, presentation earlier today was when you mentioned there had been a big cable fail, yeah. right? In the U.S. and undoubtedly other countries as well, every time there's a failure, you know, someone will jump up and say, see, this is why governments should not be involved. This is why communities should not be building their own um, networks. On the other hand, other communities work past that. How do you get a, a large percentage of the populace to believe in this? Yeah. Look, Telstra are incumbent. It was a, was a public entity before it was privatized. Everybody has a Telstra story. <laughs> Everybody is used to the billing system being wrong. How do I get a connection? It'll take four days for me to uh, get, my, get connected. It takes 90 days. If you, if you switch from Telstra to another broadband provider, fixed line, it takes 90 days minimum for it all to be processed by Telstra. Our company, the National Broadband Network, can do it almost instantaneously. We've devised a system where if you move from one company to another, instantaneous. Mm-hmm. So Australians have had a lot of bad experiences. Our copper network uh, is aging. It's been in the ground in some places 70 years. And the incredible thing uh, about uh, a copper network is it's driven by electricity for the broadband, and the natural enemy of electricity and copper is water. Mm-hmm. So if it rains, it mucks up not just your broadband connection, your phone connection. I live in one of the oldest suburbs in Melbourne. If it rains and I try and call my home to speak to my wife or my daughter, I can barely hear every second word. I've had the incumbent telco out three times to try and fix this, and there's just nothing you can do. Uh, when the water gets into the pits and the ducts, it, it's corroding the copper. Uh, the network is being held together by sticky tape and you know, <laughs> uh, gel and duct tape and all the rest of it. This, right. is, this is true. It costs our incumbent over a billion dollars a year just to maintain its copper network. So this is an aging asset. It's near the end of its useful life. You can squeeze a few more Uh, megabits out by moving to VDSL next, which people are doing, Mm -hmm. but you have to live within 400 metres of an exchange to get the true speeds that they talk about using vectoring, which is the V in VDSL. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the laws of physics apply. If you're you're more than four kilometres from an exchange, you can't get ADSL. If you're more than about 1,500 kilometres from an exchange, you can't get ADSL 2+. And if you've got to be within 400 metres of an exchange to get VDSL. And as I said, compression technologies are getting better, but the quality of the copper, the length of the the local loop, is a killer in Australia. It's Mm -hmm. just ageing, decrepit. And Australians have experienced that. So the support for the broadband network, as radical as it may sound here in America, as controversial as it is in Australia, the Australian public have... Uh, embraced support for it. It's usually around 60% support in a poll and when do you then explain to them, because this is not really about building just a piece of infrastructure, this is about the things we would do with it. This is about educating our children in the smartest possible way, about providing the best possible health care, aged care, 
veterans care and a whole range of other government services and changing the way governments and societies interact and deliver. So people understand that there's this change coming and they want to have the infrastructure to be able to take advantage of it. So when we explain to people the health and the education uh, benefits, because they sometimes say, oh, you should spend it on schools, you should spend it on hospitals, mm-hmm. but when you show them how it's going to benefit schools and benefit healthcare, they switch. And it jumps from about 60% support to about 80% support in the community at large. And that's my job. My job is to make sure people understand that it's not just about a network of downloading movies, uh, which is a common uh, criticism. Now, why would you spend? Why would you spend all that money just so you can download a movie faster? Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> get all of those criticisms. Uh, these arguments they are universal. They are indeed. Uh, so, but it's not about that. Today, if you look at you know the iPhone, it's not that long ago it was invented. The iPad. I mean, there are now six hundred thousand apps on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even Steve Jobs and that, I've just come through Apple on the way to New York to receive the award. Even the Apple guys would say they were shocked by the appetite mm-hmm. for apps. Uh, and they never anticipated that it would just go, go off like it did. Mm-hmm. So if you give people the platform, you give them the infrastructure, they will work out what is the best way to use it. I'm not telling you I know what the killer app is. I don't think there's a killer app. It's about having the capacity to have lots of different things happening at the same time in your house. Mm-hmm. It's about not having to say, kids, will you turn the turn the game off? I want to send a file to work. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, everyone can do everything they want at the same time right. when you've got the connectivity at home from the fibre network. And people might say the cable will do it. Well, Doxus, the, the underlying uh, driver of the the cable TVs only has two megabit upload. It can get the uh, the 100 megabit downloads people talk about and match fiber sometimes. It's a shared medium, so it's a bit of a pretense. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, we have a competition commission that doesn't allow you to misrepresent, so you've got to say (laughs) up to 100 megabit. Yes, yeah, I know what Uh, you mean. But it only only does two. And I actually asked uh, a bloke who I met at Google on my way through here, I said, "Why, why is it designed like this? And it was all about where the FCC had uh, spectrum and uh, and they only designed it for two megabits upload. And to change it, you'd almost have to completely change out and build a new network. So the cable, if people want to say cable, will you don't need to do this. We've got cable in the area. Well, people are going to be stuck on uh, cable are going to have a very slow and poor upload. And mm-hmm. the interactivity that is coming now, the uploading that people are creating their own content. You got to remember, people who designed this weren't thinking about the upload capacity. They, they didn't realize the way that people would start transferring video back when they were first designing this. Right. Uh, so this is a situation where the community is driving the demand to share information. I mean, YouTube, Facebook, all of the sort of applications you're seeing that people never envisaged a few years ago. So I don't make a pretense I know what the killer app is. Uh, I think it's about everybody being able to do everything that they want. Machine to machine is going to be a huge part mm-hmm. of the future. Uh, and having the the fridge connected, having the air conditioning connected, having all of the smart metering that people are deploying around the world now, all of that requires bandwidth. And you and if you've got a family, well, you know what it's like when you've got two kids. You got two or three, yeah. and then everybody. How many devices? Them. How many devices have people got at home? Your listeners. How right. many devices do they got? I've got an iPad. I've got an iPhone. My wife's got an iPad. My wife's got an iPhone. 
uh, that's four devices, uh, before you talk about the laptops that right. we've all still got. Right. So, you know, there's, there's six devices all potentially uh, being active at the same time. And I've got a daughter who makes sure they're all active at the same time. <laughs> and she's only five. Uh, oh, holy you mackerel. Can never, you can never buy just never, one iPad. Yes. Here's a tip for you, never buy one iPad because you'll never get to use it once your kids touch it. <laughs> Interesting. So let's, I, I, we're both at the end of a very long day. A word of, I don't know, inspiration or advice to the project teams out there, you know, we get a lot of people who are the champions in their community for broadband. What's what's your word to them? What, do we keep fighting this fight? Is there is there you a must, positive? You must keep fighting the fight because you will be left behind. The connectivity that other countries around the world are putting in place in China, in Japan, in South Korea, uh, across some parts of Germany, the connectivity will mean that your kids will suffer. They will not get the best education. You will not be providing the best uh, health system. You will not be providing the best system for your aged. You will not be providing the best system for government services and not be able to benefit from all of the developments in the private sector, all of the new applications. You will not be able to use them. I've never met an app designer who's designed a new app that requires less bandwidth <laughs> than the one before it. Right. They're richer. They're, they require more bandwidth. So the, the need for greater connectivity is going to become more and more stark over the next five years. If you look at the forecasts of data, the download and upload, mm -hmm. you, you are going to get left behind if you don't keep up the fight. Mm -hmm. Well, that is uh, definitely good words indeed, and it's nice to have them from afar as well as from us, us advocate folks here at home. And uh, I want to thank you for your time and your insights. Uh, I have followed, uh, you know, from a distance the, the goings-on in Australia. I expect to keep, you know, tabs on that as it goes. And as one of my uh, colleagues said, you know, you guys are are, are – probably the most out there as far as being on that leading edge because the project is so ambitious and it is a it's, it's a political it's a political thing it's out there in a political arena as well as it is in a market arena and um, and I and I think that it will provide inspiration and guidance for everyone here whose projects may not be as ambitious they may not be fighting the same intensity of a political battle but we're still trying to get broadband uh, into places and there's obstacles and we got to just keep moving to get over those obstacles and to get it where it needs to be. Thanks very much. Excellent. Thank you and have a great trip back. Thanks. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you again. All righty. And thank you, uh, our listeners, for coming in for yet another great show. Uh, please stay, uh, stay with us, and we'll be coming in with some new shows in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, I'd like to thank our sponsor, uh, Hiawatha Broadband Communi uh, Communications, um, for their support. And, folks, let's just keep broadband coming. Have a great day. Thank you.